Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. All right, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for being with us here today at City Church, week four of Kings and Queens, our series on parenting. Uh, and just as a quick recap of uh, what our series has looked like, uh, we've been looking at uh, what are some of the processes that Carmen and I have implemented in raising our children. And uh, again, I'll just kind of reiterate that uh, I've been hesitant uh, as a pastor to jump in and do a parenting series through the years because uh, I felt like I still have my kids at home. Who am I to give, uh, you know, quote unquote expert advice? Uh, but one of the things I did realize was that I, I do have processes that we are enacting in our home and that uh, our kids are growing up right now to be good good people. Uh, and we're celebrating uh, last week, we celebrated our uh, oldest uh, turning 17, our youngest turning seven the week before. And so we have a good spread. And I thought, you know what I can do is I might not be able to tell you how to correct a behavior uh, maybe that you're walking through with your children, but I could give you some insight into how to live your life so that you're doing the best you can to enable them for success. The first week we talked about setting goals and how important it is that in your own life you learn how to set goals and see goals through from beginning to end. And then as you are a parent, the ultimate goal is one, to see them not just grow up and kind of step out of the house and, and not be dead, you know, uh, uh, but instead to have a long-lasting and successful life. And so I think that the goal of parenting is one, that's really, a, it's really big because it goes beyond even our own lives as parents, because we need that goal to continue to be at work after we are gone. Uh, and then we talked in week two about the process, inspecting what you expect, the idea of, of learning how to look at the process that you've created, working towards the goal and coming back around and giving it an inspection. A lot of times in our own lives, we don't meet the goals that we set because the processes we put in place begin to fall apart and we're not consistently inspecting them. And I shared with you guys that this is a, a struggle for me in my everyday life, inspecting what I expect. And then the third week, which was last week, we talked about consequences and the importance of allowing our children to learn that there are consequences for our behavior. Sometimes consequences come because of our decisions, but sometimes consequences come because of the environment. We don't have any control over uh, some of the consequences that come in our lives. And, and today we're going to dive into week four. We're going to begin here here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Of course, we put the scriptures on the screen for you. So verse 5 says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, 
we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so Paul writing here to the church in Corinth is just kind of stating this fact that as believers, like there's a lot of encouragement, there's a lot about our faith, and ultimately our faith will push us in the direction that our hope says, I, I can't wait to be there with him, right? So I, I want to be with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." So today, what I want to talk to you about as we wrap up the content of Kings and Queens is that as a parent, I am preparing my children to do something that I'm going to do, and that is to be standing alone before the Lord one day. And I was thinking about this and how many times with our kids when they are, when they've made a mistake or somebody is addressing them as parents, we kind of swoop in and a question might be being asked of our child and then we say, well, actually, and there's something that's comforting about that as a kid. It's like, hey, I messed up, but I, I know that I have this advocate, my mom and dad, they're going to show up. They're going to help me know what to say. And that that is part of the training that we get here at home in uh, or here on earth, but in eternity, we're going to have a moment where we stand before God and, and we're sitting there before him and we're having a conversation and we're giving an account for our lives. We're talking about decisions that we made and our moms and dads aren't standing there over our shoulders ready to kind of interject and say, okay, well, God, I can actually speak to that. Can, can I have a moment? It doesn't work like that. And, and, and as I reflected on this over the past few weeks, I was thinking about that when I think about standing before God, I honestly just naturally am brought to a place where I imagine myself standing before God and nobody else is standing beside me. I've never thought about an encounter with God at this point of what we call the judgment seat uh, where I thought, man, everybody's going to be there making excuses for everybody. I've always just somehow deep inside just known that it's going to be me and God. And so as a parent, I want to prepare my children for that day. I want them to be prepared so that the day they stand before God, when I'm not there to wipe up their messes and, and pay for their mistakes, that they are able to do so in a manner where the reflection of their character is translated to well done, good and faithful servant. And so I'm tasked with that as a parent, but I cannot effectively do that. And listen to what I'm saying. I cannot effectively do that if I am not ready for it. If I am not ready to stand alone before the creator, listen, I can't get anybody else ready for it. And so I have to take serious the life that I live. And so I want to dive into this idea of, of, of how I prepare to stand before the Lord. And so when, when we understand about this idea of judgment seat, and this really isn't the, the, the crux of what I'm wanting to be today, but I just I want to just kind of paint this picture, is that we see this judgment seat as being a, 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 a place and a time where the things that are true about who we are are laid out. 
right? This is where we get to our real reputation, where we come to the place where our true reputation is known. When I think about reputation, uh, uh, I think about that scene in uh, Fast and the Furious. The first one, remember where they're uh, racing for slips and uh, the, the deeds to their car and Paul uh, Walker's character is like, you know what, uh, I don't want your car, I just want your respect if I beat you, right? And, and how important it was to him to be able to, to have respect. And, and I think that that's a really good picture uh, of, our, of our culture and our society because we want to be respected The problem is the things that we want to be respected for very greatly. Some people want to be respected because they want people to be afraid of them. They want people to to look at them and, and have a type of fearful respect. And other people, they want to have a type of reverent respect. They want people to know that 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 they are respected because they are the type of person who does what's right. And then there are people who work really hard to manipulate their reputation. And so they work with little areas of deceit behind the scenes to create an image of who they want to be, but they aren't. And, you know, we kind of get into this whole philosophy of like, just like, just, uh, uh, just keep saying it, you know, profess it over yourself until it's true. And I think that there's probably some element of truth to this idea of being able to speak something over yourself. But the reality is, is that if all I do is just speak it and over here I'm still lying, cheating, and manipulating, I'm not actually getting my life, my reputation to line up with what I'm claiming. And so a lot of people have what I would call a short-term good reputation, And that's what happens when somebody wants to be feared, when somebody wants to be uh, looked at and revered. Those are short-term reputations because they can't hold on to it because all of that is undergirded by lies, deceit, and manipulation. And I think that if we were to take the idea of what it looks like to have a reputation that honors Christ that honors our Savior, the one that we declare as being Lord of our lives, then what would happen is that reputation would be an eternal reputation. That's the reputation that we would take to that judgment seat. So let's, let's talk about reputation for a moment here in John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus has begun his ministry and word is spreading that Jesus, the the Messiah that had been prophesied for, has shown up on the scene. And Philip has had an encounter with Jesus. I I think that this is just a a really, there's there's a little side message in here. When you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, just as a little measuring tool in your life, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it's not something that you just keep to yourself. You're going to go and find somebody and you're going to go and talk about what Jesus is doing. Because why? Because you have come to a place where you understand all of the hope and all of eternity is bound up in that decision. And because you love other people, you desperately need them to connect with Jesus. 
You know, you know that this means that when people around us are running from Jesus, we don't just go, oh, you know, you'll work it out. Because if I'm in love with Jesus and I've encountered Jesus, then I know that those people need Jesus. And I'm going to pour my heart, time, and energy into helping them connect with Jesus. Because Jesus saved me because I needed saving. And the thing I understand about Jesus is that he came to save everyone. And so I wouldn't just stand by and allow the people that I care about and the people that I love to just kind of argue and debate their way out of eternity. And look what happens here. Verse 46, uh, let me, I'll just back up real quick. So it says that this is uh, 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 Jesus of Nazareth, right? And, and watch what uh, Nathanael has to say in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Look at your neighbor and say, can anything, come, can anything good come out of those people? Now, you know who those people are. We all know who those people are. When we hear about good coming out of some certain areas, we always go, how did they do that? How did something good come out of there? And this is exactly the question that Nathaniel has. Nathaniel says, what? You're telling me that the prophesied Messiah came out of Nazareth? Out of, from, from those people? And, and I love this because Philip had had an encounter with Jesus. And what does Philip say? Philip says, listen, we're not having a debate about this. You just need to come and see. Can I, can I just throw this out there too? That when you have an encounter with Jesus and you're sitting there and you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and you're not getting through and they're making arguments, maybe what you need to do is invite them to a place where somebody else can talk to them about Jesus or maybe invite them to a place where you know the presence of God is at. Church is a great place to do that. You can drag your friends and family here all the time. And if you don't feel comfortable telling them about Jesus or you feel like you're you know, not capable, I will meet you in the lobby and I'll... I'll sit there and I'll share Jesus with them as long as you want me to. I was riding in an Uber uh, Friday night on the way to eat at Corleone's and, and, and I just sat in the front seat and Car I got out of the car and Carmen was like, you were so extroverted. And I was like, the lady opened up for me to talk about Jesus. I had a lot to say. And so the whole way from my house to the restaurant, I'm just talking about Jesus and how he's involved in economics and in uh, social sciences and how like, like, like our culture needs to have Jesus. And we're just having this conversation back and forth at 100 miles an hour. And Carmen and Mary was in there too. Mary's in the back. They were in the back. So they couldn't get a word in. I don't have a problem talking about Jesus because I do believe that Jesus is the only hope. And I think maybe some of you believe that. And so Philip says, just come on, come and see. Now, how did, how, how did Nazareth get to this place? Like, like, how does Jesus come from Nazareth and Nazareth have such a stank on it? I mean, it is marked on some level to where the first words out of his mouth were not like, really, the Messiah, the promised one? I'm so excited. First words are like, out of Nazareth? In order to understand this, I think we have to fast forward a little bit because, you see, Jesus is going to go back to Nazareth, and in Luke chapter 4, he is going to uh, go and minister to the people from his hometown. Now, 
we've all, we've all kind of heard this idea about how difficult it is to find success at home, right? To, to, to find your footing and to be declared as successful among the people who have known you your whole life, right? I mean, there's something about going back to mom and dad and be walking into the house and it doesn't matter that you're a 40-year-old man with four kids. I mean, I'm not talking about myself. And, and they come and they, they still want to be mom and dad. And that's okay. I get it because they're mom and dad and I have children, but there's just something. It's like I'm still that same Jim who one time said he was getting off of work and uh, that he was working late and actually got off and went bowling with his friends. I was super rebellious, guys. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I was all up in it. I came home. My mom and dad were sitting on the front porch, and they were like, what were you doing? I was like, bowling, right? I got grounded. It was terrible, right? I was a bad kid, all right? I was bad. But, but, but you come home, and you're still that guy. And, and Jesus has all of that to overcome, Right? on top of whatever's going on in Nazareth. So this isn't just that Nazareth has an image about itself that they've created, but this is also, this is, these are home folk. These are people who saw Jesus running around on the street. They probably told him, you know, hey, no running in the temple. You need to slow down. Don't wipe that donut on the wall, right? I mean, this is, that's always going to be Jesus. You're going to run by and they're going to go, I remember, I remember him at temple when we were doing worship and he was crawling underneath the, the pews in there and the seats and he took his crayon to the wall, right? You know, and, and, and then we would just turn around and argue, well, then if Jesus did it, it wasn't sin. So we just need to go get our, our, donuts and smear them all over the place but that's not the case right so Luke chapter 4 he comes into temple and he sits down and it says as was normal for him and he's given this uh, scroll from the prophet Isaiah and I, I'm not going to read the entire text here just for the sake of time but I want to I read this, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he's reading from the scroll word for word what the prophet Isaiah had written, right? Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus gets done and he rolls that scroll up and he's sitting there among all of those friends and family and he says, this prophecy is completed because I'm here. Those are pretty bold words. And you would think that the immediate reaction would have been, no, 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 that's blasphemy. But that wasn't the immediate reaction. The immediate reaction, the verses following tell us that they begin to go, they were amazed. Is this not the son of Joseph, Mary? I mean, is this the guy that we keep hearing about? And what turns from, oh, this is just Jesus, turns into fandom, right? It's like the superstar that is from your hometown, and then he comes back or she comes back, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know them right? When, when we were in Bible college, Carmen and I, uh, we attended the church that Brad Pitt's 
parents attended. And so uh, Brad Pitt, when he was dating Jennifer Aniston, uh, would come to church and they would come in late. They would sit in the back and they would leave early. At least that's what I was told. I never saw them. Uh, and not because I'm super holy, but because I was listening to the pastor. I, I mean, I am super holy. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I, I would be sitting there, but they would go, did you know Brad Pitt was in church today? And I'd be like, man, I miss that, right? And it was just the buzz. It was like, oh man, Brad Pitt was here. I, I moved up to the balcony and I sat where I could see him, you know? And, 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 and I, I didn't do that, you know? But, but people, people begin to turn and all of a sudden it's like, there's that guy. And Jesus addresses that. And Jesus says, listen, I, I know what you're already thinking. What you want is you want me to perform one of these miracles that I have been performing around town and he goes through and he talks to them and he tells them about uh, a season where there was an opportunity for miracles and how God was super selective. Because why? Because, because miracles don't take place. I want, you to, I want you to hear me right now because a lot of times this is, this is, we become guilty of this. We become guilty of this. We, we connect our faith to the necessity that at some point soon there's going to be a miraculous sign or wonder. And Jesus responds, and this is what he says. He says, my, my, the, the work of God the Father to transform lives is an act of grace, not an act of entertainment. And these people flip their lids. The scripture says that they seek to kill him. Because Jesus takes something as important as religion was to them, and he says, the real reason that you're even sitting here right now is because you want to be entertained by the signs and wonders of God. And this Nazareth begins to take and chase Jesus. Now, the scripture says that Jesus was empowered to be able to just walk through their midst. And let me tell you something. In the middle of them being desperate for a sign to see something miraculous, their hate prevented them from seeing it. Their selfishness prevented them from seeing it because Jesus miraculously walked right through the midst of them to not even be seen. Can I, can I, can I just tell you in your life, don't let your selfishness, your own conceit your own desires make the miracles and the wonders and the expression of Jesus become invisible so that the sign is that he walks right past you and you don't see him this is Nazareth and Philip is saying come on let's go this Jesus this Messiah he comes from Nazareth and Nathaniel's like from Nazareth? From those people? You're telling me that, that, the, that, the, that the savior of humanity came from a group of people who are so dysfunctional. I think that there are three ways we hinder our identity, that we hinder our reputation, right? That we, that the three, three ways that we kind of, we spoil it when it comes to being people of integrity and positioning ourselves to have a reputation of being godly people. 
and, and, and we, don't, we may not do all of these. We may do a mix of them or one of them, but let's take a look at this. So sometimes we see ourselves as exempt from the entirety of God's expectations. Sometimes we've had an encounter, we've accepted Christ to be Lord of our lives, or, or can I tell you, what's even worse, what's even worse is, is when, when you have somebody who grows up in the church and they don't have an encounter with God themselves, they're the first to, to walk into this type of corruption in their identity, in their reputation. They begin to see themselves as exempt. Can I tell you, if you've been a believer for a long period of time, it does not exempt you from portions of God's word. And, and that's why the scripture tells us that one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ because we're going to give an account for the things that we said and the things that we did. This isn't this legalistic idea of like, oh, well, you had two, you know, three strikes and you're out. That's, that's not what we see here in this judgment seat. This judgment seat is about us coming and, and giving us an opportunity to explain why we did it. I, uh, I, uh, when we lived in Missouri and we were in Bible college, we bought a house and we were remodeling it. And I went with this guy and we bought a bunch of supplies. He was a contractor. And so we went to Lowe's and we bought, uh, it was just over $2,000 worth of supplies. And we got out and we were putting all the things into the car. And there was this little paint mixer that had gotten trapped and that I had not paid for. It's just a steel bar with like a paddle on the end that you put in a drill and like a $5 part, $10 part, I don't know. And it was just sitting there and I pulled it out and I was like, I didn't pay for this. And he was like, you spent $2,000, it doesn't matter. And I was like, no, you know what? I don't want to stand before God and give an account for a, for a paint stir. Like, I, I don't even want to have that conversation, right? A, a Ferrari? Now, if they had left a Ferrari in there, I would talk to Jesus in advance, right, maybe? But this is a paint stirrer. And I'm just saying, like, how many of those little compromises do we make in our lives where we go, ah, it's no big, it's nothing, but it's, it's stealing. And one day we stand before God, and we're his children. We're loved by him. We're wanted by him. And we get to, we get to explain to him, really, a paint stirrer? Do, do you not remember? You couldn't pay your rent that month. I gave you the money to pay those bills and enough to go buy the supplies. That extra $5 was in the check that I sent. Why'd you walk out of there and not pay for that? And these little small principles become big pictures of our character, right? And they become a picture of our identity. And too many times we as believers get comfortable in this idea, well, I'm saved, so I'm good. And then we just begin to cross lines. And can I tell you what happens when your identity corrupts this way? You lose it all and you walk away. Because you begin to go, well, where is God at? It's the same for number two. Sometimes we see ourselves as better than others. So therefore, we're more deserving. So in the first one, right, there's this idea that I'm exempt, and I think that's what's happening there in Nazareth. They're sitting there. Some of them are going, listen, we're already believers. That's good. You read Isaiah. That's great. Show us some miracles, right? And then the second group of people who were probably sitting there are like these people, right? And they, they think of themselves as being better. 
And Jesus goes through and he, and he talks about how that, that in the time of Elijah, there were plenty of widows, but it was to one specific widow that God showed up and did something miraculous, and yet none of the other widows had their needs met. And whose responsibility was it to meet the needs of the widows to begin with? It was never God's. It was theirs. Our, the responsibility of meeting the needs of people who are hungry in our neighborhoods is our responsibility. You do a disservice when you go and get down on your knees and say, okay, God, I hope that you're going to make a way for them, and then you get up to your buffet. And that might be hard, and that might feel harsh, but it's a reality. Now, there's a difference between somebody who's hungry and in need and somebody who, who, who won't work and won't take care of themselves, and the Scripture does a great job at laying those examples out. But when we come into a neighborhood that's oppressed or depressed, where there is poverty and people are not able to meet their needs, before God's sitting there going, I already gave you all the resources. I already answered this prayer. I answered it two years ago when I gave you a promotion so that you would have some resources in the bank so that when you came to this place and you saw that child who needed food, you could go and buy groceries. But somehow, our identities corrupt because we see ourselves as being more deserving because we see ourselves as being better. I think there were probably some people sitting there in the temple that day in Nazareth who saw themselves as elitists. Yes, I'm a child of God. It's, it's, all, it's all taken care of. And because I'm a child of God and you're the Messiah, your job is to do what I ask you to do. Jesus says, I'm not here to entertain. And I think a third hindrance that we have sometimes is that we see ourselves as so unworthy we can't believe God would bother with us. I think that some of us have walked through some things, some shame in our lives. We've made some decisions, or maybe somebody's made decisions for us. Maybe you've experienced hurt physically, emotionally. Maybe what seemed like innocent fun to somebody 15 years ago destroyed your insides. And you really sit there and at the end of the day, you're convinced God wouldn't show up anyway. Because why would he have anything to do with me? Why would the God of all creation who let that happen show up here today? Can I tell you that that's not the God that we serve. The God we serve is here. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And too many times we're missing it because we're just hung up on the brokenness. And Jesus is walking all in our midst, ready to do the miracle, ready to heal us, ready to, to, to provide, protect, restore. And what's happening is, is we're so upset and convinced God's not going to do anything that we're missing every moment of it. You see, if you are struggling with your identity in Christ, it may not be because of sin in your life. It may be a lack of faith in your life. Sometimes we look at our, we look at our relationship with God through who we are. And we go, nothing's happening. I don't, I'm not feeling God, this God that I'm claiming to serve. Like, like where is he at? And we go, well, it's just, I'm probably just sinning. And it's just, he, I, I, God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I fix this? And because we get caught in that cycle, we begin to go, well, God, if, if there is a God, he must not care about me because I can't get out of this sin. I can't break out of this sin. And we're so, we're so 
caught up in sin. We're so caught up in sin and, and all we need is just a little bit of faith and God will take care of the sin. All we need is a little bit of faith. All we need to do is say no, absolutely not beyond a shadow of a doubt. I might have an addiction in my life. I might be wrestling with life and death right now, but my God is big enough. He's capable. He will show up. He will set me free. I will experience it. And it's in that moment that all of a sudden things can change and your identity can find restoration. A lot of times our identities take these really major blows because we wrestle with rejection, right? And I just want to tell you that you're not the only person that's wrestling with your identity. And a lot of times rejection is just often misguided projection. The reason that people will reject you a lot of times is because of what's going on inside of them. And they just project that out onto you. And they do a good job at making you feel worthless, but the truth is they feel worthless inside. I never believed this when I was a kid and I would come home and somebody would have been picking on me or whatever and my dad would tell me, you know, you know son, that, that they probably are a wreck inside. And the reason that they're mean and filled with hate is because they're broken and all they know is hate. And so the hate that they're pushing out on you is not a representation of what's wrong with you, but it's a representation of all they have inside of them. And I think that if, if in our own identities we could get a hold of this, if we could understand that when we're walking through life and somebody's rejecting us, it may not be because our identity has an issue, it's most likely because that's all they have in their identity to hand out. And then there's the problem with social pressure. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the TV show um, Brain Games, I think it's called. Uh, and uh, this TV show, uh, they did this uh, uh, little test. And it's funny because uh, I had two people tell me about this test uh, at different, different uh, times in the last week. But they do this test where they bring this uh, lady into, I think it's the waiting room of like a doctor's office, and, and the room is filled with people, and she comes in, she sits down, she's a new patient, and then they have a bell that rings, and everybody in the room stands up when the bell rings and then sits down. And somewhere around like the third time, like she thinks like this is a thing, and so the bell rings and she stands up. Nobody's told her to stand up. She just sees that this is what people are doing, and she sits down, and then one by one, all of those people leave until she's the only one in the room and the bell rings and she stands up and then sits down and then somebody else comes in the room who's completely not a, not a part of the experiment in, in the sense of being in on the on the information and they come walking in they sit down and the bell rings and she stands up and sits down and the room begins to fill up and and somebody says why are you doing that why are you standing up when the bell rings? And her response is, well, when I walked in, that's what everybody was doing. You might think that you have this rock-solid character. Can I tell you? You might think I'm a strong, independent individual. But if you are naive to social pressures, you will just find yourself conforming. 
And, and can I tell you, if you find yourself looking like the rest of the world, you need to ask yourself, how did I get there? And what direction was given to me to give me these ideas? I, I would argue that this is one of the greatest tools the enemy can use to steer us off course and our children off course is social pressure. Attacking their identity, attacking their reputation. Because if we can buy into the idea that we're worthless, then that means he has a victory when we stand before God and say, God, I'm worthless. You see, God wants to fix the worthlessness before you get to that place. Do you understand that? God wants to do the miracle in your life now, not then. He's, he didn't do all of this so that when you get to that place of judgment, now he's going to go ahead and fix your reputation and your identity. He wants your reputation to be fixed now. He wants people to go, he wants people to go from Nazareth, of course. Of course from Nazareth. Not how from Nazareth. This is really important for you today. Identity does not dwell exclusively in you. It flows through you. Your identity is not some, something that's trapped inside of a little box inside of you. It is something that is flowing through you. And it, let me tell you something. The decisions and the actions you live in today, they transcend this moment. In that video that you guys watched of me playing Apex earlier, uh, Quinn uh, had, had made this little like uh, intro and Caitlin, you guys saw the intro. And so it's got the, the bald headed lady. Uh, I don't know, she does like this or something. And uh, uh, somebody knows her name. Um, yeah, well, he, Isaac says in the video, why are you a bald headed woman? And Quinn says, I'm Britney Spears, right? <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. So, so I'm sitting here watching that with Caitlin in a preview, and, and, and uh, Caitlin just goes, who's Britney Spears? And I just started laughing, and I couldn't stop laughing. And she's like, Daddy, 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 stop. What's so funny? I don't understand, because she desperately wanted in on the joke. And, and I was like, I don't know how to explain it. It was like, it's like there's a lot of funny things happening there. I'm old enough now that you don't know who Britney Spears is. That's funny. You know what I'm saying? Um, the fact that you don't know who Britney Spears is and you don't get the ball joke, that's funny. And um, Carmen was asleep on the couch. This is a true story. This is as, this is as true as it gets. Carmen was asleep on the couch. It was, it was bedtime. And so we're trying to get up. And I'm laughing, and I can't stop laughing at this. I don't know why it was so funny. And Carmen, in her sleep, stands up, pulls up her blanket, and says, Caitlin, she's the girl that sings, hit me, baby, one more time, and goes over to the bed. Now, the next day, Carmen goes, what were y'all talking about last night? She doesn't even remember saying this, right? And Caitlin goes, oh, you're talking about the meme girl. And I was like, what? The meme girl with Grumpy Cat. And I was like, what? And I looked that up. Hit me, baby, one more time. And Grumpy Cat says, with pleasure. Now, you thought I was laughing before. I was crying at this point. And, and, and listen, listen, listen. I, I, this is not a judgment on Britney Spears, okay? 
when, when, you, when you are somebody who moves into a place where, especially with social media, there are slants like crazy. So I can't speak to her character or anything. But in the room, in that moment, what my 12-year-old daughter knew of Britney Spears was that all she knew was that there was a girl who made this statement and Grumpy Cat said, let's bring it, let's go. I got this over and over and over. And that's what she knew. Why, why is that? Because our reputation, our identity, guys, it's not just right here. You don't get to go. It's flowing through you. And the decisions that we make, the way that we live our lives, like we're, we're more than ever being held accountable for that. I mean, it seems like literally every week we're watching something in the news cycle where somebody's pulling up some social media post from 10 years ago where somebody said something in a moment of immaturity, reckless behavior, whatever, something that may not even align with where they stand today and they're being held accountable for it a decade later and we see lives being ruined. Because the truth is, 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 as much as we want to sit here and just be like, oh man, you know, like, like it's been 10 years, like those things, that identity, that reputation, it flows, it's moving, it's alive, it's not just bound up and hidden. And when things are known and shortcomings are known, we have to make atonement for that. And part of getting our identity right here so that when we stand before God and when we stand at that judgment seat, part of what that is, it's about making things right here. It's about going and saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I thought like that. I can't believe I acted like that. And now I think, talk, I act totally different because I've been bought The ransom has been paid. Jesus is my king, and I want to take you to meet the man. He's from Nazareth. So it doesn't matter what someone thinks of you. It matters what they know of you. You see, thinking is a lot of times based around those opinions. It's the things that we live out loud. That's what matters. That's the real reputation. When people can see, experience the depths of who you are. So, so what does this look like? Let's go to John chapter 1 here in closing. And let's just look at this. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael was being totally transparent and honest and said, from Nazareth? And Jesus, being the son of God, who knows no sin, sees Nathanael coming and says, that is the type of Israelite that all of you should strive to be like. That is a man of no deceit. While Jesus will move through the mess of Nazareth, Once you get to the other side, he will also, while he'll call you out of it, he'll set you apart and make you known. And here comes a man walking down, hesitant because of what he knows of Nazareth, and Jesus calls it how he sees it. And this man's reputation precedes him. How is that? Well, he's Jesus. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Can I tell you, when you're living it, when you're doing it right, people see it and they know it. People see it and they know it. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Now watch this. He says, you will see greater things than these. So he says, do you believe? Because if you believe, if you'll be the man or the woman of integrity, if you'll walk in an identity that is right standing here in today, then let me tell you, you will see greater things than the amazement that brought you to faith today. That moment that connected you to Jesus, if you'll walk it out in faith and believe, he says you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this, this is what I want as a father, is to raise up kings and queens that see heaven opened. I want my children to experience the grace and the mercies and the richness of God in this life and to dwell with Him forever. And I know that if I have any chance of getting them there, I've got to walk it out, not for, not for the duration of 18 years while they're in the house. Can I tell you, that's garbage. Because I'm talking about lifestyle, not seasonal style. Seasonal style is like skinny jeans and bell bottoms. Lifestyle is being clothed, right? Right? Lifestyle. I'm doing this until I draw my last breath. And my children need to see that in front of them because that's what I'm calling them to so that they'll experience the mercy of God for eternity. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we close. If you would right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to reflect on the word today. If you're in this place and you're a believer and you would, you would say that you know Jesus as Lord of your life and you would say that today you want to see God restore some things, some, some things that you've been believing you need to let go of so that God can work inside of you and you say, God, today I'm gonna let go of those things because I want my reputation to be a reputation of being a follower of Christ. I want my reputation to be one that I love you and I'm desperate for you because I want my friends and my family to see an open heaven. I want my friends and my family and my children to know you, Jesus, so I need my reputation to be one that I am a passionate server. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Just where you're at, heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're even online right now. Just take a moment and in this moment, just pray and say, Jesus, I let go of those things that I have believed about myself that I know are a lie. I know that they're a lie because your word tells me that they're a lie. I have positioned myself to be exempt sometimes from your word and I repent of that. And today, Jesus, I invite you to do a new work inside of me. 
I invite you today to begin to help me develop a reputation for serving you that precedes me, that helps me to win others to the kingdom. And still with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place today and you would say that you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, whether that's because you've never accepted him or maybe you're in this place and you've accepted him at some point, but you're in a a current cycle where you're denying him either by lifestyle or by words and you feel a tugging, some conviction that says that you need Jesus, that without Jesus there isn't hope. That's the Holy Spirit at work right now trying to convince you that all of the sacrifice and all of this has been for you because you are loved where you're at right now. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, or maybe if you're online and you're watching this, and you would say, I need to make things right with Jesus. I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray and say, Jesus, I ask you to be Lord of my life. I understand that without you, I cannot do this. Work inside of me. Restore me and give me new life. May my reputation, may my identity be tied up in you. Give me the strength and the audacity to be one who shares the gospel by the way I live and the things that I confess. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.